Let's open up James chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. And as you turn in there, let me remind you for the last time that James is an epistle uh, that was written to a group of scattered Christians that were per- persecuted uh, in the first century, variety of troubles. James has been counseling them, pastoring them, shepherding them through a variety of subjects and tones of spiritual voice over the past uh, several months that we've been studying this. And today he concludes that journey with these last two verses. Let me read them for us since they're so short, and we'll get to work. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's God's word. Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would illuminate these texts to us, that we would be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, the first thing I want to call your attention to here is the nature of the text itself. Look back at it. Starts with my brothers, so you know that James is speaking to uh, his his scattered flock, this group of Christians. But you also notice here that this is how the book ends, which is a little bit jarring. Uh, some commentators have even called it abrupt, and I think that's fair. And uh, it, it it seems that part of what is missing here, and I say missing in quotation marks because it's it's not missing, but James did not close the book uh, in the way that Paul did, for example, with a a great salutation or or whatever. He just seems to draw together almost with a a good period all that he's been talking about. And so he's illuminated different kinds of sins, uh, particularly here in verse 5, or chapter 5 rather, and he's basically saying if, if someone gets off track, gets deep in the weeds, they wander away, uh, and they fall in the particular areas that we've been talking about, or any of the other areas of the book that we've been talking about, or any other areas in the Christian life in general, here is the break glass in case of emergency plan. This is what you need to do. You need to go get that wandering person, and you need to bring them back, and some things are going to happen when you do. And so the way I want to kind of organize what I have to say about this today is around really three questions. Uh, The first would be, what does it mean to wander from the truth? We'll answer that, make some application of it. And then second, what happens when we bring someone back that is wandering from the truth? And then finally, number three, so how do we do this? And so with that being said, let's ask and answer that first question. And it's, it's interesting how this comes to us, that word wandering there is planao, which is where we get the word planet, a heavenly wanderer. And so what James is seeing here is some folks that have uh, disconnected themselves from the church in some way, and now they are wandering alone uh, across a spiritual desolation. And it's also interesting to note that this is is not an unconscious uh, or absent-minded wandering, uh, but there's something that is happening here. And sometimes this wandering, it, it can come into people's lives in a couple of different ways. It, it can start doctrinally and then become behavioral, 
or it can start behaviorally and then become doctrinal. And we have certainly seen that in our day. Uh, I, I have known people, sadly, in my own life uh, that changed their doctrine on a particular issue, and the next thing you know, they were way off into all kinds of sins. Or I have seen the opposite. I have seen folks that get entranced with a particular sin, and that could be anything. Uh, and then suddenly now their beliefs are different, and they reinterpret words that they uh, would have taken the exact opposite position of five years before to match their aberrant behavior. And so either way you get there, uh, wandering is wandering. And it's sad and interesting that you also see this same kind of thing uh, in other places in the Bible. For example, uh, there's a guy named Demas who forsakes Paul and ultimately forsakes Jesus uh, because 2 Timothy 3.4.10 tells us he was in love with the present world. Then there's another guy named Alexander, the metal worker, uh, who did Paul a great harm because he didn't like Paul's doctrine, and that's 2 Timothy 4.15. And so no matter how you get to wandering, wandering is a problem. And it's, it's really important for us to understand, and James has been beating this drum throughout the book, that truth, Christian truth, in particular, is not simply about what you believe. It's also about how you live. That there has to be a bringing together of gospel doctrine and gospel culture, not just in churches, but in your life. And of course, we all fail and fumble and we're a mess. We all know that. But there is this pattern that people go in a certain direction uh, that, that, that really does have to be confronted. Billy Graham talked about this disconnect at one point, and he said this. He said, no man can said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experience. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. And again, I'm sad to say I have seen this kind of things. I, I remember there was a um, period of what many people called revival, and I think the fruit of it was kind of like, well, sort of, uh, that kind of came through my town in high school. And uh, in, in my particular situation, the Lord really used that and, and got a hold of me and, and put me on a path that ultimately has ended up right here where I'm standing this morning talking about Jesus. But there were many other folks that made various kinds of professions of faith during that same season, and just a few weeks later uh, had wandered away from the truth and were right back to, to where they were before. And that seems to be right in line with what Jesus says in, in the parable of the, the four soils and so on and so forth, that, that folks can give this presentation of, hey, I want to follow Christ, and, and then, you know, a few months later... It, it's just not the case. So we'll talk some more about that in just a minute, but I want to go ahead and ask uh, a couple of questions here that I think will help us begin to apply this. So let's start personally first, and then we'll work outward. First of all, is there any area of our lives where we are currently wandering? Is there any set or even specific historic doctrine that because it is under assault in the culture, in this moment, 
that you have begun to say, oh, I don't know about this, or oh, you know, that, that temptation comes to all of us, but the Lord uses passages like this to draw us back and say, listen, it's been, a hard, it's been hard to be a Christian since the beginning. This was written 2,000 years ago, and it is still difficult today. So I think it sends up a little signal flare for us to turn back to Jesus and make sure that we are continuing to walk in the truth. And remember, when I ask this question about wandering, we're not simply talking about doctrine. We also need to look at our behaviors as well. Is there any particular area of practice in life that we may have begun to, to fudge on or uh, go in a direction on? And th- this is the same kind of signal flare for us to come back to the truth, both in word and in deed. And the Lord is offering us grace this morning to return to Him, to confess our sins, and to be healed. So let's listen to that, let's discuss that this week, and let's be there for one another and help in the process. So after starting personally, let's ask the second question. Is there anyone in your life that is wandering, that you can speak to, that you can encourage, that you can pray for, that you can intercede with both with Jesus and also with them personally? Because if so, again, this is a signal flare for us to put that back on our radar to remind us of the role that we do play in helping get people back on track. So whatever the Lord would say to us this morning, let's listen and let's lean in. Now, after asking and answering that question, let's do the same for the second question. And that would be, so what happens when someone brings someone back from their wandering? Look at verse 20. Let him know, so he's saying here kind of proverbially, hey, publish this, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, save his soul from death there, uh, I think that's talking about spiritual death. And I think that's really important for us to understand what is on the line here. Because hell, even though it almost never gets discussed in our day, is just as real today as it has been since the beginning. And it is the place that the Bible says that the worm does not die, Mark 9, 48 that the smoke of torment goes up forever and ever. That's Revelation 14. It is a place of a bottomless pit, Revelation 20, 21. It is the place of unquenchable fire, <coughs> Mark 9, 9, 43. And we do not want anyone to go there. Now, we know that people will, but we have a role to play in publishing the good news of Jesus, and then God, of course, saves people through the preaching of the gospel. <clears throat> and so what, what he's getting at here is he's talking about someone, uh, and there's a little bit of debate here, I think. There's a couple different schools of thought <clears throat> of who he's, who he's speaking to here. Let me front load this discussion by saying this. Here at this church, we believe uh, what Christians have believed for centuries and what is called the perseverance of the saints. Another way to say this is the doctrine of uh, eternal security, that once somebody truly meets Jesus and is truly born again, there's not going to be this pattern of, well, they're saved today and they're lost today and they're saved today and then three months, well, they really stand, they're lost. 
that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, I got plenty of people in my life. There are plenty of churches that teach that. But I would just say humbly, that's not what the Bible says. That if somebody truly meets Christ, God will keep them until the end. And at the same time, part of how God keeps his people is through sermons like this. It's through uh, the warning passages that, that I know the ladies just studied in the book of Hebrews, so on and so forth. Uh, it is also through, let's say, I wander off, Steve comes to me, and he appeals to me, and if I, if I don't listen to him, then David comes to me and pleads with me, and if I don't listen to him, then Andrew and Tim and Nathan and uh, it, people come to me and, and help put me on the path. God uses means to accomplish his, accomplish his ends. And so all of these things work together to keep folks on the path. And so what, what James could be saying here is that this was a true Christian. They wandered off, and uh, they are hearing the truth, and now they are coming back. Okay, that's one thought. The other thought could be that this is somebody, like we mentioned before, from the parable of the soils, that they gave uh, an impression of, hey, rah, rah, Jesus, I'm excited. And then a few months later, they've wandered off. And so we chase them down, we bring them back, and then they meet Jesus for real. Uh, James doesn't seem to be explicitly clear about what he's talking about there. But what is explicitly clear is that we have a responsibility to a degree, not the full, but to a degree, to go run people down and love on them and try to bring them back to Christ. And when we do, what is happening there is it says that their souls are saved from death, and then also uh, they, the, 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 a multitude of sins will be covered. And that is kind of a, prover a proverbial way of saying that our sins are forgiven. That's why we wanted to open with this song this morning. That no matter what kind of wandering hole we can fall ourselves into, there is grace from God for it. That the blood of Jesus Christ can cover all of our sins. And so when we think about that, hopefully what I, I, I think that we're hearing here is that we have a role, again, not the only role, but we have a role to play in what one writer called spiritual reclamation. I love that language, spiritual reclamation. And this means a particular thing to me because I grew up in a part of Virginia uh, that it was coal mining, basically. And what would happen is, is, is a coal mining company would come in and they would dig out the coal and, you know, provide jobs for the whole community. And, but at the same time, it also kind of made the mountain look gross and, you know, it, other things could happen and that kind of thing. But then there was another group that would come in and they would reclaim the land and they would set right all that had happened. And it, to, to see the trees start to grow back and, you know, the water clear up and all these wonderful things happen. It, it just provides such a great image for me of reclamation. And so we have the opportunity and responsibility to work with God to help see that happen in the lives of other people. So let's stop and ask these questions here. Number one, do we see the significance of what is at stake in this work of spiritual reclamation? We don't play the ultimate role, but we play a role, and do we see what's at stake 
in doing so? And second, do we see our deep and abiding need for Jesus in the process of us playing our role? Because let me just tell you, the power of sin and the snake-like grip that it can get on the people in our lives, our words alone are not going to break the hold of that snake. But we, they don't have to. Because the power of God is at work within us. And we know that when we share the word of God and we speak it into people's lives, God has promised that when that word goes out, it will not return void. Now, I can't guarantee you that everybody we speak to is going to turn back toward Jesus. I've seen mixed results in my ministry and my life. But I know this, that when we speak the word of God into people's lives, God uses it in ways that we see and in ways that we don't. So let's let the significance of what is being said here remind us of our deep need for Jesus and partnering with him in this. So that being said, that gets us to our third question here, and that is, okay, so how do we do this? And I was trying to think about this in regard to, all right, how do we do this as a church and how do we do this as individuals? And in, and in some ways, there's so much overlap between the two. To talk about one is to talk about the other with maybe just a couple of minor exceptions. So let me just give kind of, if you sum it up in one phrase, this is, I think, the takeaway of how we do this, that we foster a culture of care. We foster a culture of care. And here's what I mean by this, that we care about all this, that we care about God and his glory first. Because part of the reason why we want people to come back to Jesus is because they are defaming the name of God in their sin. They are also defaming the body of Christ in their sin. Because, again, though he's not exactly specific on the details of what he's saying here, what is clear is that these people were somehow at some point connected with the herd of Christians, and they have gone out and now are sinning all over the place, and everybody in their spheres of influence sees it. And so there are people out there that are determining in part what they believe about God and his church based on the behavior of those people that once identified as Christians and now are slumming it in the world, so to speak. So the first thing we have to care about is the glory of God and the, 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 the honor of his church. And you might say, well, Dustin, that seems kind of out of place. Wouldn't we care about the person first? I think by caring about God first, you will care for that person better. Because not only is that going to line you up with the, the chief end in the Bible, which is the glory of God, that's, that's the reason we ought to do everything we do. It's the reason we ought to preach these sermons. That's the reason you parent your children in, in the waves of the gospel. That's why you, you, you play soccer for the glory of God. You, you bake cakes for the glory of God. Everything should be primary, primarily about God and His Word. <clears throat> and then from there, if you put that cart behind the horse, then you have some power. Then you have motive. Then you have initiative to love people in the way that you need to. 
And as that is our North Star, our guiding principle, then we think about, okay, so what else do we need to care about? And when we think about this culture of care, as you think about caring for that person, what can we do to love them, to serve them, to help them in the midst of their need, whether they realize it or not? And so that's where I think we get into these very kind of nuts and boltsy things. Things like praying desperately for these people to return to Jesus. We do not, again, just need our words. We need God's word. We need God's power. And we need God to rescue them from the trouble that they are headed into. Another thing, I think we need deep humility. And thankfully, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this. I, I could not brag on you guys more. I do brag on you guys when you're not around. And I say, this is, these people, they are a humble group of people. They are not at the church for any kind of show. They are there for Jesus and the Bible. And I just couldn't be more thankful. And I think part of what that engenders is it engenders a place where no one here thinks they're better than anybody else. I really think that. I think everybody here recognizes that we are needy before the Lord, and we've all got sins, and all got struggles, and all got junk. And so that's the kind of church, if I wandered away, that I would want to be brought back to. Not somebody that is going to look at me and be, give me the side eye and talk bad about me, but somebody that would treat me like the prodigal son. And we, want, we are that kind of church, and we want to be those kinds of individuals. Not a church that looks in judgment upon other people, but a church that really feels that God's judgment was cast upon Jesus for us. And listen, if you realize that Jesus has absorbed your judgment, you will not look in judgment at other people. See how practical the gospel is in that way? So culture of care, <coughs> glory of God, culture of prayer, humility. A couple more here, intentionality. A culture of intentionality. And this is really important because this is hard. It's hard to know sometimes when to speak up. When to really say, hey, brother, sister, uh, or person, I I'm concerned about you and what's going on here. Because, because again, you got your own stuff. You don't want to be judgmental. But at the same time, it it there is a little bit of that if you see something, say something that applies here. And in, in my experience, if you do that the right way with humility, it it's typically not that big a deal. Now, they may not hear you. It may take months for them to hear you. But if you speak to them from a place of concern as opposed to a place of self-righteousness, it typically goes fairly well. And let me also say this. It's also a culture of gentleness and love. I found this quote here from Spurgeon. It's a little bit lengthy. It's a little bit dated but I think you will get the ethos of what he's saying. And I think it is so helpful because it captures the nature of what we're talking about here. And talking about this in his day, he said, I have known a person who has erred 
that person hunted down like a wolf. He was wrong to some degree, but that wrong had been aggravated and dwelt upon until the man worried until he had been worried into defiance. The fault has been exaggerated into a double wrong by ferocious attacks upon it. The manhood of the man has taken sides with his error because he has been so severely handled. The man has been compelled, sinfully, I admit, to take up an extreme position and to go further into mischief because he could not brook to be denounced instead of being reasoned with. And when a man that has been blameworthy in his life, it will often happen that his fault has been blazed abroad, retailed from mouth to mouth, and magnified until the poor erring one is felt degraded, having lost all self-respect and has given way to far more dreadful sins. The object of some professors seems to be to amputate the limb rather than to heal it. Friends, that is not what we want. We want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for perfect saints. And we want to be a community that seeks to help people find healing, not simply rail against them in judgment. And doesn't that sound like Jesus? Because when we were at our absolute worst, what did he do? He gave us his absolute best. He came and he sought us out when we were wandering. What did God do with Jesus in the first place? When we were broken in sin, he gave the Lord Jesus Christ his perfect life, his substitute's death, his glorious resurrection. He gave it for us. And what did we have to give him? Nothing but the mess of our lives. And so when we talk about this concept of of seeking to bring people back, we are never far from the gospel. We are never far with extending the gracious hand of God through the gospel because that's what was extended to us. And friends, I'll say it like this. If we keep the gospel central, we're not going to get this perfect, but we're going to get this right. Because we can never look up to Jesus on the cross and look down our nose at someone else. It's just impossible. But if we can stay low and we can stay humble and we can remember that we too were once wanderers, God will work through us to bring back wandering others. So let me close today by asking two questions. Number one, do you know this Jesus that we're talking about? Have you come to the place where you have said, I cannot save myself? I cannot work my way to heaven. But I believe Jesus can save me. Friend, if you've never had that experience where you turn from your sin and you transfer the leadership of your, uh, leadership of your life over to Jesus, then in just a moment when the rest of us take communion, let today be the day of salvation. If you have, anywhere that you might be wandering this morning, 
leave that path that leads to destruction and come back to Jesus. What you really want is not down that road anyway. What you really want is Christ, whether you recognize it or not. And if there is somebody in your heart, in your life, on your heart this morning that the Lord is speaking to you and say, hey, it is time to send up a signal flare for that person over there, friend, don't delay. Let's do it. Let's respond to what the Lord would have to say to us. But for all of us, let's take just a moment to pray, to reflect, and then we'll take the table together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the book of James and what a blessing it has been to us all these months. Lord, we look forward to where you are taking us as individuals, as as a community, as we seek to learn from you. And Lord, we do pray this morning for all of us, wherever we find ourselves. We pray for those that you may call us to speak into their lives even this week. And Lord, we trust you. And we trust that your word, when it goes out, it will not return void. So we ask all these things in the mighty and sufficient name of Jesus. Amen.